Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. In Matthew chapter three this morning, as we open God's word, we're going to address a topic from scripture that I imagine is very familiar to all of us. I would say it's probably rare that we have not heard a message or seen in some way depicted maybe in a movie or maybe been to a service where we saw this being practiced. And that is we're gonna focus on the topic of baptism. But I've learned in the process of ministering over the past, uh, well, 20 years, but especially as a pastor the last 17 years, that familiarity does not mean that we understand it. Does that make sense? You, you, can under, you can see a baptism, you can observe a service, and yet at the same time, just because we're familiar with it doesn't mean that we really understand it. And in fact, in the process of, of ministering these last 17 years, I've been asked probably more questions about baptism than just about any other thing in the context of someone's relationship with Christ. For example, I've been asked, is baptism like a rite of passage? Is it something that you've got to do to kind of go into next steps in the church or next steps in your walk? What is it really about? Some have asked, is baptism only for babies or is it for babies at all? There's lots of questions that are asked. Someone have asked, do I have to go through a series of classes first? What checklist do I have to check off before I can be baptism? What is it all about? Is baptism for every Christian or is it only for the Baptists? Right? I don't know why when I heard that, that kind of question and being asked that, I'm reminded of the illustration of a, of a teacher that wanted to get her to know her children better. And so she told the children one day in class, she said, now, tomorrow when you come back to class, I wanna learn about your family and I wanna learn about the religion that your family practices. So I want you to come for show and tell and bring us something to illustrate your family's religion. And so sure enough, the next day came and a little boy said, he, he stood up and he said, teacher, he said, I am Jewish and here is my handmade star of David. The teacher appreciated that. And then a little girl, she stood up and she said, she said, teacher, she said, I have been raised Catholic and here are my grandmother's rosary beads. So oh, that's nice, sweetie. And then finally, one little boy in the back stood up and he said, teacher, my name's Johnny and I'm a Baptist. Here's a casserole, okay? <laughs> the, the fact of the matter is, is that, that, yeah, all Christians enjoy a casserole, enjoy to eat. The fact of the matter is, is, is it, baptism is not just something the Baptists do. Where do we get this and what does it mean and where does it come from? The fact is, is that even though we're familiar with the topic of baptism, we have much confusion and much uncertainty surrounding the subject. And in fact, the Bible begins to deal not only with what baptism is, but even the motives and the reasons behind it, what is appropriate and what is inappropriate, what is right and what is wrong. In fact, even as a pastor in the last many years, there've been situations where someone's come forward with a genuine desire to be baptized and yet upon evaluating those things, Quickly begin a wondering question, is that really what the Bible says? I remember pastoring in Christiansburg many years ago now, there was a gentleman who came forward and he wanted to talk to me and said, Pastor, I need to be baptized. I'm ready to be baptized. And I said, that's wonderful. I said, well, tell me, why is it that you want to be baptized? And he said, well, because I'm new to the area. And I said, okay, and well, why else? And he said, well, I'm, I'm new to this church. And I said, that's true. And I said, well, well, why else? And it was clear that something significant was missing. And then I quickly realized as he began to explain, his understanding of baptism was, is that every time you went to a different church, you had to be baptized to be a part of that specific church. 
to which I quickly learned that he had been in six different cities, six different churches, and at that point had been baptized five different times. Is that what the Bible teaches? Or about the guy who came to me, desperate, pastor, would you baptize me? Would you baptize me? And I said, well, why do you want to be baptized? And he said, because I want my wife to know that I'm really sorry for what I did. Honest answer. My most interesting reason for being baptized is one time I had a little boy that wanted to be baptized and his parents said, we we don't know that he understands. Would you talk to him? And I said, sure. And so the dad and I sat together with him and I said, well, tell me real quick. I want you to pretend your dad's not here. Why do you want to be baptized? He said, because I want to show the whole church my new swimsuit. (laughs) Well, is that really appropriate? Is that really what it's all about? Well, of course the answer to that is baptism is a lot more important than those things. And God in his word answers the question about what baptism is and what it means in our lives today. I wanna remind us this morning, regardless of your background, regardless of your church experiences, regardless of where you stand or where you're coming from, when all is said and done, what should govern our life is not our opinions. What should govern our life is not even our experiences. What should govern our life is the authority of God's holy word. So what does God say about it in Matthew chapter three? I wanna ask you if you would to stand to your feet for the reading of God's word as we look at simply today, the basics of baptism. The basics of baptism. Here's what the Bible says as we learn about a ministry of a man by the name of John the Baptist and the example of Jesus in his baptism. The scripture says this. Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea saying, key message, repent. Don't you love that message? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now, John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. Jerusalem was going out to him and all Judea and all the district around the Jordan. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Listen to the statement. Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And don't suppose that you can say to yourselves, ah, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. The ax is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will thoroughly clear his threshing floor and he will gather his wheat into the barn and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire, verse 13. And in that context, Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him saying, I have need to be baptized by you. And do you now come to me? But Jesus answering and said to him, John permitted at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were open and he saw the spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, 
This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. I pray, God, through your word today and through the Holy Spirit working in our lives that you would speak to us, to guide us, to direct us, to mold us, to shape us, to convict us and change us in whatever ways that it's needed. Help us, Father, to tune out distractions. Help us today to focus in intently on what you have for us. And we will praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. The basics of baptism. This morning, as we open God's word, I want to ask you to consider a few simple questions. And yet the answer to them can be quite profound in our life today. The first question is simply this. In your life, have you personally believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? It's a simple question. And yet at the same time, it's a question that so many of us find difficult to answer because we like to turn to our good works or we like to turn to our grandparents' religion or we like to turn to the day that we were baptized. But the question is simple. Have you believed in Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior? Then the second question. If you have, have you followed the Lord in his example in being baptized? Baptism literally is a way that we outwardly demonstrate our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is through baptism that we are proclaiming to the world around us that yes, we are with Christ. We have believed in him to be our Lord and Savior. The fact is, especially in our culture today, there are many people who have been baptized, but that does not necessarily mean that they have a relationship with God through faith. So today I challenge us to consider, do we have that relationship and have we been baptized? In Matthew chapter three, as we open God's word and begin the text this morning, we're introduced to a man by the name of John. We know him today as John the Baptist. Uh, we understand that his life had a very unique purpose and mission, and that is that God's ordained plan for him was to be a forerunner for the Messiah. And literally in Luke chapter one, as the angel of God speaks to his father, Zacharias, he says to him, it is he, your son, John, who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. In other words, simply put, the goal and the purpose and the mission of your son, John, is to literally go before the Lord to prepare the way, to proclaim the fact that the son of God, the savior of the world, the only way man can be forgiven and set free, that he is coming, that he will be here. John's entire life and purpose, his entire ministry was spent preparing the people for the savior of the world. Matthew chapter three, as we pick up the story, we learn that John was literally out in the wilderness of Judea. He was right there on the edge of the Jordan River and there he is having a message for the people to hear. It's in that context of baptism, I want you to see three observations this morning from Matthew chapter three that hopefully will simplify the whole idea and bring to clarity what our next steps need to be. The first thing I want you to see this morning is the criteria of baptism. If you will, you could call this the requirements. What is it that God desires? What is it that he requires of us in order that we be baptized? The fact of the matter is this morning is that you can be baptized. You can be a part of a public service. You could be immersed in the water. And the simple fact of the matter is, is that if these things are not present, then you've just gone through an outward motion. Sadly, many do. 
In fact, many of the people who come to CrossLink in the process of their Christian growth, when we begin to talk about this topic, it's that reality as they begin to think through and process through, you know, this is what happened to me when I was a, a baby. This is what my parents did at this time, but I didn't really understand. And what God is calling us to recognize is from his ordained, divine ordained perspective, there are some things that must be present in our life in order to be baptized. The word baptized, interestingly, in the Greek literally means to immerse. It's the idea of being submerged, if you will. In that day, the word was used to describe uh, a metal worker who would take metal out of the fire and literally then would immerse the whole thing in water to get it to cool quickly. The word was used in that day to describe taking a piece of cloth and and completely immersing it in a dye in order for it to, to change its color. It's that same word that we see introduced here when we've learned of John the Baptist who came giving a message and giving a baptism for people. Two criteria, what are they? They're very simple. The first thing is this, we see is repentance of sins. The first criteria for baptism is that there is a repentance of sins. The word repent literally means to change one's mind, to change one's mind. Let me ask you a question by show of hands. How many of you have ever changed your mind before? Uh, if you didn't raise your hand, maybe you belong in Washington. I don't, I'm not sure. You know, we live in a culture that's constantly changing its mind about this and that. We flip-flop on so many things in our culture. Here's the reality. The word repent does not just mean a quick change of mind over something insignificant. No, the fact of the matter is the word repent means a change of mind that leads to a change in action. It's literally the idea in repenting of our sin that we're going our path, we're going our way, most of the time thinking that we're right, thinking that we're fine, there's no big deal, but we become convicted of sin. We become convicted of sin to the point that we turn from our sin and we turn to the Lord. It's a changing of mind which leads to a change in action. Many, when they think of their sin, have regret. Regret is that feeling of disappointment, if you will, over maybe what they've done or over what the result has been. And there's a disappointment over the wrong action that is a regret. Sometimes we look at sin and we have remorse, a genuine sorrow over what was done or a genuine sorrow of the pain that it cost along the way. But repentance is far more. Repentance is a grief and a sorrow that leads to a change in action. And it is impossible without the Holy Spirit of God working in our heart and lives. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, the apostle Paul is writing to a church that frankly in the first letter, he had to rebuke them for many things. There was division and there was chaos. There was confusion. There were many sins in the church that had to be addressed. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes and he confronts every single one of those issues. And there was a sorrow about them. There was a grief about them. But it wasn't just a feeling of sorrow and a grief. It was a sorrow and a grief that led to repentance and led to a change of action. Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. He says, I rejoice that you were made sorrowful, that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance, For you are made sorrowful according to the will of God so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. In other words, when there is genuine repentance, there is a turning from sin and a turning to the Savior. There is a turning from wrong and a turning to right. There's a turning from those sinful actions to turning now to actions that glorify and honor God. It is a change of mind that leads to a change in action. Somebody might say, but pastor, I'm repenting of the same sin over and over and over and over and over and over again. You may be sorry for the same sin over and over again, but you've not repented until you've turned from it. 
Jesus in his message was constantly about repentance. The very first word of Jesus' first sermon when he came out of that wilderness of testing was the word repent. In Mark chapter 6, verse 12, the Bible tells us of the 12 disciples, they went out preaching that men should repent. The early church described in the book of Acts says literally, God is declaring to men and to all people everywhere should repent. That's what God is calling us to. Jesus summarized it well in Luke 13, verses three and five. I tell you, no, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. I don't know about you, but that one word, repent, flies completely in the face and against everything in our culture. In our culture, we don't wanna repent. In our culture, we don't wanna turn around. In our culture, we don't want to acknowledge the truth. Instead, we want to find our own truth. We want to allow people to define their own truth, to live by their own standards, live by their own experience, if you will. And what God is saying is, no, here is the truth. And the truth is this, that all of us have sinned and all of us come short of the glory of God, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The honest truth of God is Jesus is literally saying, in order for you to be saved, in order for you to experience eternal life, in order for you to be set free, you've got to repent from your sins. Turn from them and turn to me. The criteria of baptism is that there had to be repentance. Literally, John said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He said, I baptize you with water for repentance. But secondly, there's a criteria, and I think this is the key to it all, and that is the criteria of belief. Belief in Jesus Christ. See, John was not calling them merely to change their outward actions. He was not calling them to merely stop doing what they had been doing. Anybody could do that at least for a period of time on the outward. No, John was calling them to focus their attention on Jesus Christ and to believe in him. In Matthew chapter three, we've read the words of John. Luke chapter three also describes uh, his ministry and his message in a little more detail. And there are some who would look at this passage of scripture and say, well, not one time do we see John literally say to believe in Jesus. But make no mistake about it. The purpose and the goal of John's ministry was to do one primary thing. It was to point all people to Jesus. It was to point all people to Jesus. Literally, when the Bible tells us in verse three that he was the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. What God is saying is this, John was going before Jesus and he was saying, listen guys, the savior of the world, he's coming behind me. The one who's perfect, the one who's holy, the anointed one, the Messiah, the one that all the prophecies of the Old Testament have prophesied, the only one who can save your soul and set you free, the Messiah, he's here. He's come to save you. The fact of the matter is John spent his entire life, ministry, and message pointing people consistently to Jesus Christ. And as he did, he was calling them to believe in Jesus. Luke chapter 3 summarizes it this way, that John's message was this. Now, while all the people were in a state of expectation and all were wondering in their hearts about John as to whether he was the Christ, John answered and said to them all, as for me, I baptize you with water, but one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to untie the thong of his sandals, for he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. 
Friend, what is happening in that moment is that people are beginning to gather out in the wilderness. People, the Bible says they're coming all from all over Judea. They're coming from all over the region. They hadn't heard a message like this about repentance. They hadn't seen a baptism like this in that way. And so they're coming to hear the message. And as they came, they began to wonder, is John the savior? Is John the perfect one? Is John the one that can take away the sins of the world? Is John the one we've been hearing about? And John says loud and clear, I want you to know, I am not the Christ. I can't save your soul. I can't change your life. I'm imperfect just like another man would be. But there is one who is coming who is perfect and he's righteous and he's true. He's the Messiah. He's the savior of the world. No wonder why when John's very disciples on a later day would be gathered around him, he would look at Jesus and he would say, behold, there is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The basis for this repentance is not merely a recognition for change. The basis of this repentance is a belief in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's why when Paul is summarizing the ministry of John, here's what Paul says in Acts chapter 19, verses four and five. John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people, listen to this, to believe in him who was coming after him, that is in Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting to note that every time you study in the scripture baptisms, you find this very key truth. And that is that belief always comes before baptism. That you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord. And then after that, you identify, you publicly demonstrate your inward faith in Christ through the outward act of baptism. Acts chapter eight, the Bible tells us about Philip ministering there in the areas of Samaria. And the Bible says in verse 12 that they re, when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, then they were being baptized, men and women alike. Acts chapter eight, Philip is ministering to Ethiopian eunuch. And the Bible says that they went along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, hey, look, there's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said this statement, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. My point is simply this. There are many times people will profess faith in Jesus Christ, but will will refuse to publicly demonstrate their faith in Christ through baptism. And God is showing us here a pattern. Believe in Jesus Christ and having believed, now to be baptized. And the Bible shows us in the book of Acts, they did it as soon as they possibly could. Acts 16, Acts 10, Acts 19, over and over and over again, we see the pattern. Here's the question. The question is, you're baptized. Second thing I want you to see this morning is this. I want you to consider then the critics of baptism. If you're still with me, would you say, all right. I love to hear the chatter of the children this morning. Reminds me of Jesus going into the temple that day, right? It's beautiful and precious to hear. I want you to consider for a moment the critics of baptism. Right here in the midst of John preaching this message from God and people repenting of their sins, and right here in the midst of of Jesus coming forward to be baptized, right in the midst of it all, here come what I'm calling the critics. I, I don't know how long maybe you've been a follower of Christ or how long you've been in the church, but I would say this to you this morning. Every time... God is at work moving and doing. Every time the enemy will do all that he can to distract and to discourage and to deter people from God's plans. 
You can mark it down. Anytime God is working and moving, let's just say in your family, you can guarantee in that moment that the enemy is gonna do all that he can to try to divide and to destroy. In the context of the church, it's the same thing. In Matthew chapter three, John is preaching and literally people are coming from all over the region. They're going all the way out into the wilderness. They're hearing this profound message that you can believe in Jesus, you can repent of your sins and be baptized as a statement of your faith in Jesus Christ, demonstrating to the world what God has done in your life and people are being saved, people are being baptized. It's an amazing thing. But in the midst of the incredible move of God, here comes some critics. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been a critic before? I'm not asking you to confess your sins this morning, but do you know how difficult it is to receive from God and respond to the things of God when you have a critical and judgmental spirit? Here the Bible says these Pharisees and Sadducees Show up. The Bible says, verse seven, when he, when, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, now stop for just a moment. When you read that in the English, it sounds like they're coming to be baptized. But in reality, when you study the, the, the original language, what's really happening is they're coming to observe John's uh, ministry, John's message. They're coming to observe John's baptism, but they're coming for the purpose of rejecting. They're coming with a critical spirit. They're coming not to receive. They're coming not to look at God and where they stand. Instead, they're coming to look at man. Can I just say to you this morning that anytime you are focused on looking at man, you will always be disappointed. Not only will you be disappointed, you will likely rob yourself of the opportunity to respond in a way that honors God. Many of us are hindered in our growth today because frankly, we come with a critical judgmental spirit. That's where the Pharisees and Sadducees were. They didn't really come to hear from God. They didn't really come to be closer to God. They came because they had their own self-justified agenda already and they came to deny what John the Baptist was saying. Can, can I just say to you that it's very easy for us to get there. It really is. I don't want to go into great detail, but let me just illustrate that personally in my own life. I, many of you know that I went to school at Liberty University. And when I was at Liberty, by the time I was in my second semester, my junior year, God very graciously opened a door for me to, to be a worship leader on campus. I will forever praise him for that opportunity because of the relationships and the ministry. And at the, at the same time, God used that as a means in my life to provide for my education. And I praise the Lord for it. That happened my junior year, that happened my senior year, into my seminary, and I'm so thankful for it. But in the midst of all of the good things that God did in my life and, and for me in that time, there are also some difficult things. For example, every year around January, we had a large concert on campus called, I think it was called Winter Jam. Maybe Winterfest. I don't remember what we called it at that time. I think it was called Winter Jam. But basically every December, every January, we brought in all these Christian bands from all over the country. They all came together at the Vine Center. And basically anybody who was somebody in Christian music was there to perform a concert. And to be honest, it was awesome. I remember being on that stage and leading worship. I remember leading worship kind of in between some of the groups and all the different things. And it was a wonderful experience. But in the process of that, I also got to see a lot of the bands and a lot of the groups and a lot of the people that I looked up to behind, scene, behind the scenes. And frankly, I saw a lot of things that were not healthy. I saw a lot of things that were not godly. 
And I remember in that process going through the season where I looked at some of these people that I held on these pedestals and held on these situations and I, and I looked at them and, and I was so disappointed and I was so hurt and, and I kind of became very critical, very skeptical. The Lord called me away from liberty. I began pastoring in Christiansburg and I remember a few years of being in Christiansburg. I had an opportunity to go to a Christian concert again for the first time since I had been on one of those stages. And I remember going to that arena and I remember being there and this group I loved and, the, and they were singing worship songs. It was all about the Lord. And, and, and I didn't even realize how bad it was in that moment. But the entire time I sat there, I found myself sitting there skeptical. What are they doing behind the scenes? What are they really up to? What is their agenda really? I wonder what things are like in their tour bus outside. And somehow in the midst of my hurt and my confusion, frankly, I'd come to a place of criticism and skepticism that hindered me in that moment from being able to focus on why I was really there. I would love to tell you that the Holy Spirit of God just dealt with me and convicted me, that I repented and said, God, forgive me for my criticism and my judgmental spirit. I would love to tell you that happened immediately. But can I say to you that just about every Christian concert I went to for the next 10 years, it was really hard to receive. You know why? Because when it came to that environment, I found myself very critical. I found myself very skeptical of others. I found myself focused on man and not on God. I found myself focused on man and not on how God wanted to move in my heart and how God wanted to convict me and how God wanted to encourage me. And frankly, it took me going with a youth group from Christiansburg to a concert where I was so focused on the safety of the teenagers that I wasn't focused on the crowd. That in the midst of that, the Holy Spirit of God wrestled with me and convicted me and dealt with me. And ever since then, it's been a place of freedom and deliverance. But can I say to you this morning, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they went in that moment not to hear from God, but to approve their own decision they'd already determined. If God's going to work, he has to work in this way. If God's going to move, he has to move according to my preconceived ideas. And so when John is preaching about repentance, here's their, there's, here's their mentality. Why do I need to repent? I'm good. Why do I need to repent? I am religious. Why do I need to repent? I keep the law. I go to the temple. Why do I need to repent? I give of my tithes. Why do I need to repent? Look at all the good things that I'm doing. Why do I need to repent? I mean, after all, Father Abraham is my father. In other words, they were so caught up in their focus on themselves and their own self-righteousness that they missed the reality that all have sinned and all have come short of the glory of God. Therefore, all must repent. God describes this kind of mentality in Jeremiah chapter eight, verse six, where God says, I have listened and I have heard. They have spoken what is not right. Listen, no man repented of his wickedness saying, what have I done? <laughs> I haven't done anything terrible. I haven't done anything like this guy over here. I'm not sitting in prison right now. What have I done? And the Bible says that everyone turned to his course like a horse charging into the battle. Luke chapter 18, verse nine, Jesus described these very same Pharisees and he said it this way. They were people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. So what does John say? He doesn't just say repent. He says very loud and clear in verse eight, therefore, Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. 
In other words, if that repentance is genuine, guess what? It will continue to bear fruit in our lives. The fruit of repentance keeps bearing fruit in the life of those who have truly repented. Luke chapter three, go read it this week. Listen to the practical ways that that Luke describes John's message of what true repentance looks like and how it affects our relationships, how it affects our attitude, how it affects our generosity, how it affects our treatment of others and our speech and our honesty. If repentance is genuine, it will continue to bear fruit in our lives. Which brings about the question, have we truly repented of our sins or have we just gone through the motions? Have we really turned from wrong and turned to Jesus? Or if we're just going through the outward form of religion like the Pharisees and Sadducees? Luke chapter seven, verse 30 summarizes the actions of the Pharisees when it says, the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves, not having been baptized by John. They thought they were just dismissing John's message when in reality, they were rejecting God and his very purpose for their lives. When I think of the critics in this case of knowing Jesus and walking with him, when I think of the critics of those who would hinder and prevent from following the Lord in baptism, here's the reality. Sometimes the loudest critics and the hardest critics to overcome, it's not the outside voices. It's not the friends and the peer pressure. So often it's within our own heart and mind with the lies of the enemy that we've believed. We don't really need to make this decision. It's not that big of a deal. We got plenty of time. Why rush that decision? That's going to be embarrassing. Oh, God God doesn't really care if you do that or not. You're not really ever going to change. You can't get victory over this in your life. You can never change. Sometimes the loudest critic is not the critic on the outside. It's the ways that we're listening to the lies of the enemy. And when you rely on the truth, John was preaching a message of believing and repenting of sins and in that being baptized. And God calls us still today to do the same. The final thing I want you to see then is this. I want you to see the call to baptism. Please understand that it is in that context that now Matthew points us to the reality. Here's Jesus. Here's Jesus. John's preaching about baptism. He's preaching about repenting of sins and believing in Jesus. He's practicing it. Here are the skeptics and the critics. They're trying to deny it and dismiss it. And then in the midst of that, here comes Jesus. Jesus was 100% man, amen? Amen. He was tired, he was hungry, faced temptations just like you and I face, and yet he was 100% God. And as 100% God in this moment, God is doing something profound through the example and the illustration of Jesus' baptism. So I want you to notice three things about it. First, I want you to consider its purpose. Jesus' baptism in this moment approved God's plan for baptism. Somebody say, well, how do you practice baptism? How do you do that at Crosslink? We do it exactly like the scripture says. Now, no, we don't go to the Jordan River necessarily, but every time you read through baptism in the New Testament, you see that the person is immersed. And what happens here? John is in the Jordan River. He's baptizing all who will believe in Jesus. And now in this moment, here comes Jesus arriving from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be what? To be baptized by him. Jesus in this moment of action through literally his example, and we'll see in a moment, I believe, through the example of God's at the Father's affirmation of Jesus, he's approving God's plan. In other words, John's baptism was not created by man. John himself says in John chapter 1, verse 33, that God sent me to baptize in water. And here comes Jesus affirming and confirming that. Why? Because here is Jesus in Matthew chapter 3, And he is just now beginning his earthly 
ministry. The wilderness testing is about to come. The Sermon on the Mount, a few chapters later. All the parables, all the miracles, literally the region turned upside down for God. The world changed. All of it's about to happen. But it began first in this public moment as Jesus comes forward to be baptized by John. Please understand that when Jesus walked on the face of this earth, he didn't just kind of happenstance move here and there. Everything he did was by the plan and will of God the Father. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 5, verses 19. He said, truly I say to you, the son can do what? Nothing of himself, unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, those things the son also does in like manner. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. John 8, verse 28, Jesus says, I do nothing of my own initiative. In other words, his every action was led by God the Father. So what does he do? He comes forward to be baptized. Why? Because God was expressing his approval of all that John was doing. His message of repentance by faith in Jesus Christ, his method of baptism by immersion, his call for repentance of sins, all of it in this moment was approved by God. Secondly, it's picture. If you don't hear anything else I've said, please hear this. God's plan in baptism is powerfully painted in these words in verse 15. The Bible tells us as, John, as Jesus approaches John to be baptized, John is now in an awkward moment of confusion. Remember, his was a baptism of repentance, which means a turning from sin. It's a changing of mind, which leads to a change of action. In this context, it's a turning from sin. But here's the crazy confusion with John. Why does Jesus need to be baptized? He's perfect. He's sinless. He's done no wrong. There is no sin in Jesus to confess. Hebrews chapter four says he's a man just like us. He faced every temptation just like us, but yet he has no sin without any sin at all. And so the Bible says in verse 14, John tried to prevent him saying, I have need to be baptized by you and you come to me. Jesus, in essence, what John is saying is you're perfect and you're holy and you're true. You have no reason to be baptized. Here I am respected and regarded, but now Jesus in your presence, I know I am a sinner. I need to be baptized by you. I need to be immersed by you. I need to be experiencing this by you, not the other way around. And Jesus says something interesting. He says, John, permit it at this time. This is a unique moment. This is a unique time. This is a transitional moment. For in this way, key word, it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. In this way, in this practice of baptism, it is fitting. The word fitting here literally means that it is appropriate. It literally, if you will, it fits. Anybody ever have a garment that you put on that just fits just right? It's fitting. It's, it's appropriate. It, 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 it's exactly how it's designed to be. That's kind of the idea. Literally what Jesus is saying here, it is fitting for us in this moment to fulfill all righteousness. This is God the Father's plan for me to be baptized. What Jesus is doing in this moment by a way of picture is this. He is experiencing a baptism of sinners so that in doing so from the very beginning, he would identify with the very purpose and mission for which he came to this earth. 
Why did Jesus come to this earth? Why did he leave the throne of heaven to humble himself, to be born of a virgin, to live in this fallen world? Why did he do it? Here's why. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus said, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Mark 10, 45, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Please understand, Jesus came for the purpose of finding those who were lost. He came for the purpose that the righteous, holy son of God would give his life for those who are sinners, those who are in need of salvation, those who need to be set free. That's why he came. So even before his earthly ministry began, before he would see Calvary up in the distance, before he would stretch out his arms and cry, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, before they would literally strip him of his clothes and pluck out his beard and beat him with a cat of nine tails, before he would endure all that, even before his earthly ministry began, he knew the purpose for which he came. And that was to identify with sinners and pay a debt he didn't owe so that all who are sinners who believe in him will be set free. Sins washed white as snow. This picture of baptism is a picture of the death, burial, and then resurrection of Jesus Christ. By the way, it's interesting to note that there would be two primary other times in the Gospels where Jesus would use the word baptism in Mark chapter 10 and in Luke chapter 12. And both times he used it, he wasn't talking about baptism in water. He was referring to the baptism that he would experience when his body would be immersed in the wrath of God where he was paying for the sins of the world. He's describing the persecution. He's describing the weight of the burden. He's describing the torture and he uses it and he speaks of it in terms of a baptism. Please understand that before the crowds, before the 5,000 were fed, before the dead were raised to life, even still at baptism, Jesus knew why he came and that was to set sinners free. This moment is a powerful picture it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. John MacArthur said it best. It's lengthy, but listen to what he said. This was the first step in the redemptive plan that Jesus came to fulfill. He who had no sin took his place among those who had no righteousness. He who was without sin submitted to a baptism for sinners. In this act, the savior of the world took his place among the sinners of the world. The sinless friend of sinners was sent by the Father in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. There was no other way to fulfill all righteousness. Final thing I want you to see is finally its prescription. Jesus' baptism was not merely an action for us to ooh and ah over. It was not merely an action for us to debate and to discuss. It was an action for us to follow as an example of what our Lord did for us. The Bible tells us that Jesus was baptized. Literally, he was immersed in the Jordan River. Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were opened 
And he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And listen to this. And behold, a voice out of the heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I want you to know this morning, this is a unique moment in time as God the Father and God the Holy Spirit and God the Son are all united in this moment. And the Father's voice speaks out loud and clear. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That statement assured John that Jesus was indeed the Messiah that he'd been looking for. But it also assured to the son that his actions and his surrender and his obedience was pleasing to the father. Can I say to you this morning, when we say yes to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, when we follow the Lord in believer's baptism, you're probably not gonna see the sky split open. You're probably not gonna see a, a, a dove descending. and You may not hear that voice say, I am well pleased. But can I say to you this morning, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you walk in obedience to him, you live with a fulfillment and a peace of knowing that your life is bringing glory and honor to the very one who made you, the very one who sent his son to die for you and the only one who can save you. The fact of the matter is this morning is that Jesus's ministry was just beginning in Matthew chapter three as he was being baptized and then would go into the wilderness. And then of course we would begin to study that for the rest of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But I wanna encourage you to never forget How did that great commission end at the very end of Matthew chapter 28? Closing words of the gospel of Matthew, Matthew 28 verses 18 through 19. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. What's the next word? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Can I just ask you this morning, if Jesus is your leader, if he is our leader, Why would we not follow his example? If Jesus in his baptism would be willing to humble himself and identify with us as sinners, then why through baptism today would we not be willing to identify with the one who died to set us free? If Jesus is truly our Lord, then the question for us today is this, will we obey his command? This morning, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you have been baptized, my hope and prayer today as we leave will be that you will stop and just take a moment to remember what God did to set you free. Remember that time that you followed the Lord and said yes to him and remember that time that you were baptized and just thank the Lord that he's continued to love you and continue to guide you. Thank the Lord for the ways that he's grown you in your life. If you're here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today is the day. Today is the day for you to put your faith in Jesus Christ, repent of your sins and experience the joy and the gift of eternal life. And if you've already done that, but you haven't been baptized, I wanna invite you today to commit, to publicly demonstrate your faith, to say, yes, I am with Jesus. He is my Lord and I'm his child. You know, in Matthew chapter three, as John is addressing the Pharisees and Sadducees, they often felt like we feel today. And that is, they thought they had plenty of time. Oh, we'll hear John about this again later. Or maybe we'll hear Jesus again later on the matter. They thought they had plenty of time to get things settled with God and do the right thing. But but John the Baptist says two things of illustration. He says, first, I want you to know, guys, the acts of God's judgment is already laid against the root of the tree. 
There's a powerful theological message there. But, but anybody who's gonna cut down a tree, if you've already got the ax laid against the tree, you know you're getting ready to do business. What John was saying was this. He was saying, guys, the time is urgent and God's judgment is coming. Repent today. If that wasn't enough, he said, by the way, Jesus, the Messiah is here and his winnowing fork is in his hand. Winnowing fork's not something we use most of us today, but it's kind of like a pitchfork in some ways. When you were, were literally dealing with the wheat and the chaff of a field, you, you could literally take that, that winnowing fork into it and you could, you could kind of go through the, the crop, you could go through the wheat, and literally what would happen is the chaff, that which was of no value at all, would just kind of flutter in the air and that which was profitable and that which was edible and that which was good, it literally would fall to the ground where it'd be picked up and gathered to be used. What John was saying is, listen, just as quick as you can take the winnowing fork and throw the chaff in the air, God's judgment is coming. So today's the day to repent. My point for us this morning is simply this. Let me say, Pastor, it's 2020. Man, it, don't you know what year it is? Don't you know what time it is? I do, and that's why I say to you, it is of the urgent, most, most urgent thing you can do to say yes to the Lord Jesus Christ, to repent of your sins and follow him. And so I invite you today, would you do just that? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the time together. Uh, Father, I thank you for the example that we have in Jesus of how he was baptized. And really, even in his baptism, before his earthly ministry even began, in this moment, he knew exactly why he came. And even in this moment, he humbled himself to the baptism of sinners. And of course, that's just a picture of the fact that he would soon, down the road, humble himself to the death of a sinner as he would die on the cross for my sins, not just mine, but for the sins of the world. God, I thank you for your promise that all who believe in Jesus will experience the joy and the gift of eternal life. So God, I pray today that we would not be like the Pharisees and the Sadducees justifying our actions. I pray that we'd not come with that spirit of criticism and judgmental to looking at man, but instead, God, that we would look to you and when we focus on you, when we realize your presence, we quickly realize how sinful we really are and how greatly we need your grace in our life. So God, I pray that today will be a day of deliverance for many. God, I also pray that today will be a day of commitment for many. As many have accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, but have not been baptized and they haven't publicly demonstrated their faith in that way. And so God, I pray today will be the day where commitment is made. I pray that today will be the day where they get beyond the, the criticisms of the, of the enemy, that they get beyond the lies that he's feeding their mind, that they get beyond even the, the obstacles that we are putting up in front of ourselves. God, I pray that today will be the day that we commit and we follow through. And ultimately, I pray that today will be the day in each of our lives and in this place where you are exalted and glorified and praised. I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.